What exactly was the undergarment just referred to? Panties, Your Honor. Do you expect this subject to come up again? Yes, sir. There's a certain like connotation attached to the word panties. Can we find another name for them? I never heard my wife call them anything else. Mr. Baker? Oh, I'm a bachelor, Your Honor. That's a great help. Mr. Dancer? I was overseas during the war, Your Honor. I, I learned a French word. I'm afraid that might be slightly suggestive. Most French words are. Re-re-reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhood Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, Great Lake Gazers, and Assembly Line Assemblers. This is Ruined Childhoods, and on this podcast, we are covering one movie for each U.S. state. On the last episode, we were getting spooky in Massachusetts, and this week, we are cruising west to the Great Lakes State. If you are the shape of a mitten, you are also the shape of this state. Actors born in this state are J.K. Simmons, D.A. Greer, and F.F. Coppola. Its capital is Lansing. Its median household income as of 2020 is $54,900. You guessed it. We're in Michigan talking 1959's Anatomy of a Murder. Dan, what do you call someone who loves Michigan? I a Michigander-holic? I, yeah. You call them smitten. Smitten. That oh is from my. a website of Michigan jokes. Uh, and it was the only one that wasn't at the expense of anybody who went to a college there and their intelligence. Got it. Got so it. I went with it. So is this mitten? Is this mitten thing like really part of the Michigan identity? Oh, have... sure. So okay. It's, you know, if you're talking to somebody from Michigan, you say, "Well, where in Michigan are you from?" They hold up their hand and they say, "I'm at this part of the mitten." I mean, yeah, sure. Some people might say Upper Peninsula you know maybe give other information but to hold up your hand in the in you know the mitten form uh no, that, that is that is the way that some folks describe where they're from in Michigan that makes perfect sense you know that's actually how i often describe where in seattle i live because just the city of seattle is is also mittenesque and is it really well, yes. Uh, and I, so where I live is in West Seattle, which it's connected to Seattle proper, but you have to, I, I'm holding up my hand right it's now. It's like Seattle's ponytail. Uh, it's what West Seattle is Seattle's ponytail. Yeah. I get, yeah. Well, yeah, if you hold the mitten upside down, it's kind of like if Seattle has, has a mullet, West Seattle's the party, but uh, that's actually quite the opposite. So... <laughs> <laughs> no, West Seattle is like where you go if you kind of want a quiet place. Uh, yeah, most of West Seattle is pretty chill. So anyway, that's kind of how I describe because the city of Seattle does kind of have a a, a Michigan-esque or Michigan-esque, Michigan-esque okay. state uh, a shape. It's in a I state did not of, know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's, I feel uh, like anytime I see it on a map, I don't see like the the borderline to to demonstrate the the shape of the city. If you were to look up a map, like a Seattle neighborhood map, 
So just like a map that has an outline of like all the different neighborhoods and like all the different little like, all right, there's Georgetown and Soto. You'll kind right. of see the outline because there's the water that separates. You know, looking at it right now and you know what it reminds me of? The cool the, S. The Oh, does it remind you of the cool S? <laughs> it kind of oh. does. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, no, I would say like... I've I've kind of described it as as a just to kind of describe like okay well I live on like the thumb like the upper knuckle of the thumb and interesting if you go to like the knuckle of the first pointer finger is like where the stadiums are so which is not Very downtown yeah Seattle would be uh, like the Space Needle would be more of like you know the the main knuckle of the middle finger maybe. Or perhaps the central knuckle of the middle finger. Fair enough. Well, before we move on from Seattle or Washington State to Michigan, I just want to do a little bit of housekeeping, if that's okay. Do I have your permission, Dan? Oh, we're more than ready to move on from Washington <laughs> State. Let's let's do well, it. Well, I, I just want to, uh, you know, this is something that typically would come at the end of a podcast. We don't typically do this, though, uh, but I would love no. to encourage everybody who's listening to hop on to either Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else where you can rate and review and uh, give us some stars. Five would be the best. Uh, yes. would be preferable. If uh, I, yeah. You know, if you're thinking of giving us a one, one star, maybe don't do it. I don't know. Uh, also, be sure to follow us on Instagram and on TikTok. That's where we're doing all of our social media posting. It's been quite active uh, oh, in the past the year since I've been unemployed. <laughs> so I, that's what I mean. You know. Yeah, which of course, no, we we want John to be employed. We want everyone to be employed. Um, but John, you are definitely, but you unemployed are rocking our social media accounts. Much more so than I would if I were unemployed. I well, I know this for uh, a fact. I just kind of need to be making stuff all the time. And this episode that you're listening to is coming out on February 14th of 2024. And uh, as most people probably know, that's Valentine's Day. And I uh, am also putting out a video today on our social media channels uh, about something that I've talked about on this podcast before. It is a fond Valentine's Day memory for myself. This is the 31st anniversary of the very first time I saw Regarding Henry. I oh. remember the evening as if it were yesterday. But no, 31 years ago, it was uh, February 14th, 1992. I was uh, snacking on some Hershey's Kisses while our parents were out for dinner. Really hoping nope. for Ritz crackers. Had I how known, did, how did you know? How would you have known? Had I known to make to have a snack that would fit in with the movie, I would have had Ritz crackers. But lo and behold, I was given a bag of Hershey Kisses, and yes. uh, that's what I had on hand. So uh, I recount that tale on our social medias. Uh, also, we have a a website, a URL. I don't know if you're going to be necessarily clamoring to go there to listen to the podcast because you're listening to it right now on your preferred podcast player, but ruinedchildhoodspod.com is going to be your source. Uh, right now, it just kind of has a little bit of information about us, links to our social stuff. Uh, also, clearly, we have our link tree for all sorts of things that you can, that you can do, uh, extra credit, if you will. There's a wonderful picture 
there's great pictures of us. There's a all, like John looking very cool standing in front of a DeLorean. Me at my absolute coolest. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, at like age twelve or no, it it's fourteen because it's not peak awkward. It's not. It's not like sure seventh grade awkward you've got a cool 90s windbreaker on i do have and i'm i'm making some type of hand gesture and like not a gang sign and not an inappropriate hand gesture but like i'm doing something fun you know like hey here i'm planning hollywood rock on hey yeah look at me grease i'm posing in front of some grease memorabilia grease the word yeah i was probably you know what i was probably in 10th grade because that was the year go. that my high school did the musical Grease, and it would make sense. Well, Dan, let me tell you more. Tell you more about some other things that I want to draw our listeners' attention to. Yes. I talked about it before, but the Walt is another endeavor I have going on because I cannot sit still, and I encourage everybody to go to the Walt. That's T H E W A L T. Substack.com. There's also a link in this episode's description. It is a an online community that you can sign up for. It's completely free. If you choose to pay $5 a month, you get extra content, but it is essentially a uh, a commun- online community for people to watch mm-hmm. documentaries and learn about the world because mm-hmm. it can be any topic really. And uh, you know, get into a group discussion, essentially a book club where once a month you have the entire month to engage in conversation, uh, but on the first of the month, I send out uh, a, a information about a documentary where you can watch it without having to pay any money. Although if you choose to pay money, there are also those options. And uh, it's just a, a great little community. So the first month uh, has been really fun so far. I, uh, you know, there, We're only halfway through the yeah. month right now, but um, I certainly hope that our community engages in some conversation. Dan, you've been a member oh. since since the jump and i i hope that you've been enjoying the yes the communications they haven't been too much for you no no it, it's i i enjoy it i kind of look forward to like when there's like a new prompt or something i can do yeah you know just kind of like open up the, the the app and you know uh in just you know a couple of minutes and look at the question or you know, look at the whatever prompt and and just you know th- take a moment and think about it and the thief collector was such a yeah, a that fun was ride, fun such a fun ride of a movie, and at least for me, it's one that has kind of stuck with me, and I've I've yeah. referenced it in in other conversations. I've like refer- I was like, oh, this is like this guy Jerry Alter. Let me tell you about him. <laughs> that's and that's exactly why I love you know sharing documentaries with people. Is that you know especially something like the Thief Collector. It's not going to be one where you're going to it's going to be like an award season smash, but it is so captivating to kind of follow along in the discussion. And uh, I I really enjoy kind of the discourse that it creates once you start, you know, talking with people about it and about these these fascinating people who had this fascinating life that nobody really knew about until after they died. So. Uh, that said, the next month is likely to be something that's maybe more of a more serious subject matter, but you will have to sign up and find out at thewalt.substack.com. Oh, and you know what? It just I just remembered. I'm like, there's this question that when I think about The Thief Collector that keeps coming up. It's the one question that like since watching the movie that kept coming up 
that I never got resolution on. And I, I don't need to bring it up right now, John, but but we should talk about it. Put it in the discussion thread. Off off air. Yes, I will absolutely put it in the discussion thread. But cool. It it just popped into head popped into head. There. There we go. There you and go. Out of mouth. <laughs> Well, speaking about anatomy, let's talk about Anatomy of a Murder from 1959, directed by Otto Preminger. Did you like As that, As I Dan? murder the English language. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. And what is it exactly that you teach high school students? Uh, um, <laughs> oh, my goodness. words together into, into I, a cohesive thought? That's sometimes I wonder. Sometimes I wonder. <laughs> I'm off the clock, man. Uh, well... Uh, you know who's not off the clock is uh, Paul Beagler. Paul Beagler. <laughs> nope, he is <laughs> on the clock and ready to rock. Yeah, so Dan, kind was of. this your first time seeing Anatomy of a Murder? It sure was, yeah. What did you think? Wow. Um, it, so it was, for me, it was a, a tough, mo- a kind of a tough movie to get into and oh really once the well i was watching it like i just i don't have a life where i can sit and watch a movie beginning to end unless i want to start long this is a long one especially for 1959 unless i want to start waking up at four in the morning to watch movies which don't get me wrong i've thought about it but yeah i'm not there yet so i was following it it was so interesting and just at the end i was so there were so many things about this movie that i was impressed with and that Ooh. i i felt without and i'll I'll wait for for your uh, uh synopsis but there was so much about this film that i was just like like i was so frustrated with it. every any i might be frustrated with something and it's kind of like i have the other voice in my head that just says yeah, but that's kind of how it would be. <laughs> or like that's how it is. That, Interesting. That's okay. What and and yeah, so I uh the trial I thought was fabulous and yeah. it, it, I there were there are also so many as as just somebody who's seen a lot of movies and especially uh courtroom dramas, I do enjoy a good courtroom drama. We've certainly talked about them. Uh, on here before and the courtroom dramas that we've talked about from a time to kill to a few good men and yeah and other ones that like it was all of the the dna it kind of felt like this is where it was coming from um sure yeah and there well, were so many so many things that it just felt like okay like this movie that came much later is clearly and rightfully so like of like it is so well done and uh, i think the casting is was fabulous but it is not a, a it's if you like a nice tight little clean resolution and you like to leave it feeling feeling <sighs> good yeah it's not quite not quite there but uh anyway john I, what was this your first time watching it this was my first time watching it, and I really enjoyed myself. I was kind of drawn in from the very beginning, and uh, I thought that Jimmy Stewart was excellent. I mean, it's I have a hard time finding a movie of his that I, I really don't like him in. I feel like I, 
he he is selected for certain roles very methodically and yes. i really appreciate yes. the the variety that his career had and this is a big one for that because you know when you look at other movies like vertigo or rear window um or it's a wonderful life you're getting you know entirely different versions of him and uh, what i do think is uh jimmy stewart at his strongest is when he's playing a bachelor and uh i would even count rear window into that you know as well even though he is you know see dating somebody what you know they wanted to be a little bit more serious than uh, maybe he does at least at the beginning and i feel like it's better when there's less of a romantic angle to it uh where he's kind of got blinders on and he's just being really good at the thing that he does and if it's something like rear window you know mm-hmm. he is unable to do his job and work which I can relate to. And so he needs to busy himself. He he needs right. to find things to exercise that muscle that he has. Um, I mean, he was a photojournalist in that one and, you know, trying to solve a, a mystery from the window of his apartment <laughs> is, uh, you know, the only thing that he has to kind of keep himself going. And um, like we were saying before, it's, I can perfectly relate to that in a very different way. Fortunately, and in Anatomy of a Murder, you know, he is a clearly a very good defense attorney. And his other passion is fishing and jazz piano. And this life that he has doesn't need a romantic figure in it. And I feel like most other directors would try to insert something like that in there. But it was wise for Otto Preminger to not try to incorporate that and kind of muddy things up. You're nodding. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, abs. I, I, I think that Preminger and I, I did some, some reading up and, you know, Preminger was a, was a stage director prior to working in, in film. And then it was when he got into film, he ended up doing more, acting because it was like during Stutlock World War 17. II. Mm-hmm. Right. And so and they were like, hey, you are great at playing it. You could be great at playing a Nazi. So yeah. you could be the bad guy in uh, every thanks? movie we're making now. So I mean, like, whatever, job's a job. So yeah, but yeah. So then uh, you know, he starts making making movies but like he also didn't shy away from like he def he definitely wanted to tell stories that weren't necess that weren't being told mm-hmm. he di- he directed the man with the golden arm movie about heroin addiction in 1955 yeah. so he does de- he did uh he it's that he he helped to bust the blacklist by crediting Dalton Trumbo as screenwriter on 1960s Exodus. He right. uh, I guess shot in a gay bar for a movie for 19 uh, advise and Oh consent. really? I'm reading this on the Criterion website. This is uh, an essay by Nick Pinkerton. Yeah. 
Well, I, I, what I also really admire, and you know, specifically with Anatomy of a Murder, is that in this, in the sense of you know that current state of like Hollywood filmmaking, it was you know an independent film. It went outside of the you know the studio systems you know, way of functioning with like, it has its, you know, players involved where he was taking people from the theater because that's where his background is. I'm sure that that was a big part of it. And uh, you have people who weren't, you know, George C. Scott, you know, he's taking him and kind of putting him in movies and stuff. And uh, that was so cool. Ben, Ben Gazzara, uh, you know, completely nails it in this. I uh, really admire the way that he utilizes, uh, Lee Remick and Eve Arden. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. and also, you know, he by by incorporating Duke Ellington in 1959, not only as the right. one who scores it, but like putting him in the movie is, right. you know, sending a clear message to Hollywood about like, no, this is what we need to be doing now. Well, yeah, no, he clearly like he's clearly he's clearly someone who I mean, and now learning a little bit more about him, who doesn't necessarily feel beholden to the Hollywood system because he already like pissed them off and he already, he had that reputation. So now at this point in 1959, he's like, well, like, what do I have to lose? I'm going to make the, I'm going to tell the stories I want to tell the way I want to tell them. And fortunately, you know, you, you have actors like Jimmy Stewart who were, like name stars that would go for these roles. And it's, you know, I mean, much in the way that Denzel Washington has. And I mean, the actors that you usually hear compared to Jimmy Stewart, Tom Hanks, not as sure. I I feel like Washington is closer for me, actually. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. I, I also, and uh, this is going to be a little spoilery for this, but I really like how things aren't tied up really neatly at the end of this movie. Oh, it is a uh, it is an ending that would not have happened with probably most other directors at that time. Yeah, very pessimistic. Ending. Well, a, I mean, a lot of a lot of the content of this of this movie and the the language used hearing the hearing Jimmy Stewart say panties. Uh, well, that uh, and and by the way, that part was also very funny when they were trying to discuss what to call women's yes, underwear. The, the humor. Oh, my. Oh, yes. All the, the at that moment, I was like, oh, my God, George C. Scott, you are bringing humor for like the first time that I've ever seen you actually like bring humor. This is great. Oh, mag- magnificent, magnificent. Yeah. Well, uh, why, why don't I do you... a little synopsis? Yes, you, were you please. just going to say that? Perfect. I sure was. A small town Michigan defense attorney with a love for jazz piano and Italian cigars has to decide whether or not to bring on a controversial new client. Army Lieutenant Frederick Mannion shot and killed a tavern owner after he physically and sexually assaulted his wife, Laura. Mannion, who appears to show no remorse for what has happened, argues that he was justified in his crime, despite not quite remembering the details as they happened in the moment. What appears to be an open-and-shut case for the prosecution raises questions for our jazz and cigar-loving lawyer, Paul Beegler, who recognizes that the crime of Laura's rape and battery should be looked at in the same light as the following murder. Beegler is also motivated by one other factor, money, 
since his law firm hasn't even brought in enough funds for him to pay his aide, Ms. Rutledge. But just as Beagler prepares his case for court, the prosecution also incorporates a new tactic, bringing on shark attorney, figuratively, not literally, Claude Dancer from the DA's office. But Beagler, who does... But Beagler does the dancing, figuratively, not literally, in the courtroom, using clever tactics to sway the jury in the defense's favor. So, Jimmy Stewart plays Paul Beagler. Lee Remick is Laura Mannion, who's awesome in this. Ben Gazzara is Frederick Mannion, who's awesome at this. Uh, George C. Scott is Dancer. Uh, Eve Arden is Miss Rutledge. Uh, We also have Arthur O'Connell as Parnell McCarthy, who's uh, a retired attorney, who's friends with Beagler, who, you know, uh, in encourages the, him to take the case. And it, yeah. in the in the a time to kill parallel, he is the Donald Sutherland to James Stewart's Matthew McConaughey in that relationship in, dynamic in the Hoosiers sense of it. He is, <laughs> you know, just thinking because he's, you know, the Dennis Hopper is unreliable. He's the Dennis Hopper to uh, Jimmy Stewart's uh, Gene Hackman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, uh, he doesn't run into the courtroom drunk and stumbling drunk. No, but he does crash the car, and you know, he the crashes the car. But oh, but but the information he he gets, ah, uh, yes, yeah, it's a uh, it's a very complete film. They don't they don't gloss over the things that they do gloss over. They don't show the closing statements. I I think that at that point it's right. just like. I feel like everybody knows enough. It, you know, while I was, well, after watching Anatomy of a Murder, uh, which, by the way, I have to keep on trying to stop myself from saying Anatomy of a Fall because that's so recent in my memory. But after watching Anatomy of a Murder, I also watched To Kill a Mockingbird and also mm-hmm. 12 Angry Men, and uh, which, you know, came out after this, which makes a lot of sense because I feel like Anatomy of a Murder broke a lot of ground in terms of like, what you can now really say in cinema and, uh, you know, being able to acknowledge rape and sexual assault. Well, and also if you put it in the context of a courtroom trial, yeah, it has a more formality to it. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why they were able to do it. Um, yeah. So I watched those and, uh, you know, to kill a mockingbird, the, you know, the closing statement is like the big moment and in anatomy of a murder. It's like, there is none of that all in 12 angry men. There's no courtroom at all. You're only in the the jury (laughs) in the jury room. Um, which by the way, I was in a, I was in a high school production, uh, not 12 angry men. I was in 12 angry jurors, which was, uh, the 2000, 2001 version of being woke because there were girls in it. I I saw it. Yes, I remember. I was the bailiff. I was not an angry juror. See, I, and then before that, ten like approx not ten years, but um it, earlier, I in that very same high school on that very mm-hmm. same stage was in the uh, early nineties version of being woke. The all the female version of the odd couple. Right, right, right. The gender swap. Yes, so That's I was right. I played, and yeah, but because also the early '90s version of being woke included casting me as one of the two Spanish brothers, and then I was just gonna say darkening my skin and my hair. Yeah, I I was gonna point out the fact that they maybe uh you know 
didn't focus on every aspect of uh you know we were you know representation yeah really really not not woke at, at all but you know i guess i guess that was on on the way yeah anyway moving on to moving uh, anatomy on. of anatomy of a murder so okay yeah the things that i really appreciated about this and i think this is where the casting of james stewart is yeah. is so like you said very intentional and he's one of those actors who he's a great actor who can play a role, but part of what makes him work in a in a movie like this mm-hmm. is where he kind of he has it's kind of like he has so much of this like built up credibility from the first like 15 years of his career where it was largely you know, like Mr. Smith goes to Washington and he was when you, know, you the see good him, you think this is the good guy. Right. And it's yeah. and in this, it's not necessarily that he's not the bad. There's not like I, I don't want to say that there's not bad people, but there's not like a bad guy and a good guy in here. There are lawyers who are doing their jobs to the best of their abilities, regardless of what they of what that means. So like for for Beagler, he's trying to po- he's trying to, you know, shift the focus, first of all, from the the murder of Quill, the bar bar owner, to right. the assault Who of we Lauren never see Mannion. this all no. takes place after that. Yeah. Right, right. And we are also never we are let like I think we're given enough to figure it out, but we're never told. We are it's it's implied that perhaps it wasn't and that it was a consensual encounter between uh Laura and Quill there's no but there's no real evidence given either way there's just doubt and you know that in a in a trial the prosecution has has you know the burden of proof they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the uh that the defendant is guilty so Beagler's job. So you're like, yeah, but you're James Stewart. And, and, and what, and also what makes it work is Ben Gazzara because like that temporary insanity is bullshit. And he is like, and he is so smug. He is so good in this. And you can just, I mean, I love it because I love the big Lebowski and Jackie Treehorn and just thinking I'm of, Jackie I mean, Treehorn among other Ben Gazzara, like, you know, the seventies roles, you know, killing of a Chinese bookie. Uh, yeah. And, but, but seeing him in this in, and he's so young, but he's just so, oh, he's so like, sl- like slimy. And you're like, you're, you are a piece of shit. Like, He's very frustrating because he doesn't seem to understand that he needs to change his attitude. He needs to uh, come across at least looking a little innocent or at least like justified. But But instead, he just digs himself into deeper holes by being himself. Right. But um, spoiler alert, it it still works out for him. (laughs) 
Right. It it works out for him. And I think that a lot of that just hinges on, uh, I'm saying, I think that it, it definitely, it all hinges on this one witness that Beagler manages to uh, get who uh, is, uh, I don't want to give away too much. Right. But it's hard. She is yeah. the kind of the, the, the missing piece of the puzzle that at least gives uh at least creates question about the character of quill and the reality of the story of laura's rape but and it's also an opportunity that beagler sees to kind of bait the uh, dancer uh yeah and and the prosecution by the way i love the other lawyer for the prosecution who's who's kind of a doofus he gets uh, sidelined in doofus. He's, kind of, is such, a good word he's for kind of such a doofus. But then, and then George C. Scott, who almost does look like a shark in this, but who's just like he's a really good lawyer. But you know, it's like you just see him getting that head full of steam and taking the bait. So it's like, yeah, Mannion doesn't. Mannion would be it doesn't do himself any favors by not acting guilty. And is the look on his face is and what are you going to do about it? How are you going right. to prove it? Well, and clearly, you know, Beagler has to do a lot of training with the defense to enhance their credibility, you know, by making Laura stop going out and getting drunk and hanging out with guys and giving anybody any reason to to think that you know there there was a consensual relationship between herself and quill and i it's a really great moment that when he does kind of like snap her out of it and like bring her in line and then as soon as she doesn't have to have that facade on she takes it off she gets drunk and she like chats with him in the courthouse and What's interesting is it makes me think, and this is I I think part of the the you know genius of of the the direction of the film and also the the writing is uh, uh, Beagler has that this line after I forget the context of it, but uh, Laura asks him he does some thing in front of the court and there, there's an objection and the objection sustained. So he gets shut down and the judge is like, the jury will like strike that from the record. And she's like, how can the jury unhear something that they've heard? And he says, yeah. they can't. Well, you as the odd, like the jury doesn't see that Laura is out getting drunk at the honky tonk or where, wherever she is, but the audience does. Right. So, and we can't forget that. Right. So and also it's like all the conversations that Beagler has in private with Mannion, like the audience hears those and sees that. So we are definitely led in a direction. And and while while you're while you're mentioning that with the initial conversations that Beagler has with Mannion uh, at the jail. At first, when I was watching it, I was like. Okay, he goes to talk to Mannion to kind of figure out if he's going to take on this case. And then he goes and he talks to Laura and then he goes back and talks to Mannion. It's like, no wonder this movie's so long. And then I, and then like after watching it, I was like, oh, I totally get it. I totally right. see like we we need to see 
how Beagler is processing this information. And we need to see that he realizes, like, this is a guilty man and should go to prison. But, you know, there's something that's bringing me back. And, like, you know, being able to understand that as the audience, I think, is more important than, you know, consolidation of screen time. Well, right. And you said it right there. It's about its process. It, yeah. It's about the process. We don't see the the closing statements and we're not. We're not told conclusively whether or not, yeah, whether or not Mannion was temporarily insane when right, he did it. Right. I think that one we're pretty, like, given a pretty solid sense of of at least what what Preminger uh, thinks. Yeah, but we're also really not I, unless there's something I missed. I feel like. I feel like the consensual nature of the relationship between Laura and Quill is implied, but not not as strongly. There's still just I think there's still just as much. Ev- there's still just as much evidence. There's not enough reason to doubt her story. Yeah, but I love. Oh, in another movie that. This reminded me of especially when they were talking about how she was dressed and there was a lot of questioning oh, yeah. about and it made me and also the pinball, the accused with mm-hmm. Jodie Foster oh, and yeah. Kelly McGillis, where Jodie Foster, who's great in the new season of True Detective. Ah, yes. Yes. Also in Nyad. She's fantastic in Nyad. Yes. Uh, I've not seen the new season of True Detective. I've not seen all of Nyad, but I've seen enough oh, yeah. to but know. To know that she's very good in it. Yes. I mean, she's Jodie yeah. Foster. I can't yeah. think of much that she's not good in. But uh, making uh, maybe her decisions in Friends. <laughs> Mel Gibson. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes. 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 That blind spot is, yeah, troubling. Okay. But getting back to <laughs> getting back to an okay, so you're talking about pinball. You're talking about you know but that well, reminded how me was the, she dressed? Yeah, that reminded me of of the accused. But this movie was all about the process and about again. It comes back to Jimmy Stewart, not necessarily being because, like you said, he pretty much recognizes this guy's guilty and should go to jail. But I am his lawyer. Yeah. And my job is to defend him and provide the best defense and whatever happens. Because it's never in question about whether or not he killed Quill. That is, you know, accepted fact. Right. It's a it's a matter of was it first degree murder? Right. Was it premeditated? That's the thing. And uh, yeah, that was a really fascinating part of it because you don't really even still see a lot of like courtroom dramas where it's just like, look, the guy killed somebody, but that's not what we're really here to talk about. We're here to talk about the specific, you know, uh, you know, thing that they're in jail for. Did they, were were they in control of their faculties? Exactly. When they committed the crime. And I, I love, there's also the question of whether or not the other guy who worked at the bar, if I'd say he was Alphonse Paquette, great character name, and also Murray Hamilton, mayor from Jaws. Love to see. Yep, him. and in Jaws too, and notably. in Jaws too, famously. Yes, 
Uh, oh, by the way, speaking of, of casting of of the in the trial, we cannot ignore Joseph Welch, who Joseph Welch, yes, an, an actual a- attorney, an actual attorney who was famous from the the army McCarthy hearings with Joseph McCarthy. Yeah. He was the one who said that line. Have you no sense of decency, sir? At long yeah. last, that I was him. It. And he is so good. And, and I was, as I'm watching it, I'm like, I'm writing down. I'm like, Oh damn. This is before I like looked into who this was. Oh man. The judge is so good. I love this guy. He's fantastic. And, He's but great. Like, and you know, it's like, and, of course, you know, the reactions, oh, well, he he was a lawyer, but that doesn't mean you're going to be a great actor and and play Usually, a judge yeah. really well. And he's he's awesome. You know, it's, another lawyer who played a judge and I need to um, I need to pull this up. Alan Barinholtz, father of Ike Barinholtz, who played who was an attorney and played the judge in the show Jury Duty. Oh the, right! Uh, yes, the 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 pseudo the reality TV show about the one juror who thinks they're just being uh-huh. documented about what the jury duty process is like, but everybody's an actor. It's all fake, and uh, yeah. So he was the judge, and the reason oh. why he was able to, okay. you know, play a judge is because he was in so many courtrooms as a lawyer, and he just knew what judges. You know, he knew how to play a credible judge. But, you know, I think that he, like, retired and then just started acting, probably because both of his sons are actors, and he's just like, yeah, yeah all right, I'll do that. And he's and he's great in Jerry Duty. Yes. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, absolutely, Joseph Welch uh, was so good. I mean, we mentioned the 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 panties discussion he's fantastic in that uh when they're in his uh you know judges chambers and he's got the mm-hmm. the the fly fishing or the <laughs> the lore which uh-huh. was like Mwah, beautifully done chef's kiss yes yes yeah very cool movie <laughs> now uh, you know what we haven't talked about is michigan <laughs> the filmed on location in michigan yes yeah, and which also not very standard, you know, procedure for a movie like this, especially a lot of it's indoors doesn't need to be in Michigan, but it is. No. Well, also because it was based on an on, on an actual case yep. and they filmed in a lot of the locations where things actually happened, even though yeah. it was not ex- it's not exactly the same. This is not a movie about that crime and that case it is it's inspired by it and the setting i i think kind of that that sense of like i mean i've never been to michigan but i just i just assume michigan just being like kind of quiet unassuming like you know you just you 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 go by the lake or whatever and you just you know which one I don't pick, pick, <laughs> pick one they're all great uh <laughs> and I've never been. Have you been to Michigan? I've never been to Michigan. No. Uh I know a lot of people from Michigan. I uh, hear it's fantastic. I know some people who either lived in or live in Detroit and uh, speak very highly of it. Uh but no, I haven't been myself. Yeah. But I feel like and I've been there now that I've seen this. Well, it's no, de- what's interesting about it is it you definitely have that it, you know, that just kind of like people 
people just want to kind of like go about their business and and be left alone in this community. And, yeah. And and that someone like you know people like the Manians are definitely, you know, outliers. Sure. Yeah, I mean they live in a trailer park and uh, you know he is militaries from the army. I uh, and I don't I don't get the impression that he's you know, spent a lot of time there. I don't remember if they say exactly how they ended up there. Right. That's that's just kind of how things shook out. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I Michigan well, is a really like and then and yeah. I yeah, I feel like Michigan is a really good setting for this also because it's like I feel like there's a different attitude that comes into it if you're in different parts of the country if you are in the south it becomes a different type of vibe we've seen that in our grisham's stories also if you you know uh to kill a mockingbird for example you're gonna mm-hmm. see a, a very different type of courtroom uh way more overalls than uh my cousin Vinny. you know my cousin Vinny. oh my god talk about perfect courtroom films that not a drama but courtroom films no but great but it's yeah. it is a, it is a highly highly regarded among a, attorneys as is anatomy of a murder as is anatomy of a murder yeah absolutely and um you know you were saying that the you know getting the impression of you know how michigan you know the vibe is like i would say that another uh film that demonstrates that i feel like in a very appropriate appropriate way is gross point blank which mm. I imagine we would have probably done this for this episode had we not done it before. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just like a perfect Michigan movie. Right. And of course, we're, you know, we're looking on our visits here. We're looking to stay outside of the major cities, uh, yeah. which left. Uh, to, and by just and while we're kind of mentioning Detroit, which, uh, you know, also Robocop, we've done it. But a yes, a classic yes. d- uh, Detroit set movie. Just want to shout out the movie Blue Collar, and I'm sure we'll mm. have the opportunity to come back to it at some point. But that's a uh, Paul Schrader film from na- 1980 or 79. I can picture the like the poster, yeah, uh, but I don't know if I've it, seen the movie. It looks it's kind of like marketed as a comedy, and Richard well, Richard Pryor's, Pryor's in it. it. Well, it's Richard Pryor, Harvey Keitel, and Yafet Koto. Yafet Koto. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's definitely some humor in it, but it's also like there's some crime elements involved. It's it's a movie that kind of defies genre, but it's a really interesting movie about like working in the auto industry at a time yeah. when a lot of the auto industry was was moving to Japan. Right, and right. Where like a lot of uh, you know, auto auto workers were losing their jobs in in Michigan. Yeah. So yeah, and you know, maybe uh, maybe we'll cover uh, Roger and me on the Walt that's to give true. Uh, we, a little bit more color to that story. Yeah, we uh, we definitely talked about that as a possibility. But I'm glad we talked about Anatomy of a Murder. Sure. Also, is- it'd be a crime in itself, not to mention the incredible poster artwork and credits artwork for by Saul Bass. Oh, uh, you know, iconic, completely, completely iconic artwork done for this movie. I, uh, I was 
very much inspired by Saul Bass in our own podcast artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's easy to replicate his style uh, and very hard to make it seem like you're not ripping him off. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, it's yeah, it's it's homage. Yeah, but you know what? It just like a completely perfect. I, I mean, maybe if anything, it's it feels a little too hip for this kind of a movie. But it, well, yeah, it works also, so well. Same thing with the score. It's it's a bit it, right. It does feel a bit off, especially in the opening credits. It, uh-huh. But but I think it makes it. I think especially the scene with Duke Ellington. Yeah, kind of brings it together and makes it well, make sense. And I also think, and I, I've been, I was thinking a lot about, you know, why were they using jazz and why was jazz like his thing? Because you know, there's that scene where Parnell is just like, oh, why not play like an old standard or whatever, and then he like does like a jazzy version of it on the piano, and it's like, you know, it's kind of his style as an attorney to kind of do what you're not expecting him to do. And right. uh, I I don't know if I was being a little more generous with that because I do also see like, I don't know, a lot of what he's doing is kind of like, you know, what's expected. But I don't know. Well, I, I, I like, want to give him the benefit of the doubt that it is kind of like jazz lawyering. Well, it is because jazz has like a lot, you know, there's a lot of fluctuation mm-hmm. in in tempo and it, it all it all comes together. It all makes sense, but like especially the jazz of that era of the the fifties yeah. uh, was it, it kind of came out of improvisation, but then the the recordings of it, of course, weren't yeah you know were usually not not imp- you know by then they kind of had it down, kind of like a trial lawyer would where it's it's all going to come together. They know they're going to even when they're even when you have a great jazz ensemble that's improving, they're going to bring it all together at the end. It's all You still going have to play to within the sense. rules of the courtroom, but there are there are places where you can zig and zag a little bit. Well, right, also when you know the rules, you know what you can do with the rules. And it goes yeah. back to the whole thing about the jury can't unhear something. It's Okay, well, the judge is going to strike that, but that's not the point. I just want to make sure they have that in their heads. Yeah. So understanding the rules and understanding how far he can go. Absolutely. Which he does, he's not afraid of, of, of an objection. He, like, no, that's, no, it's part of it. It's, it's, you know, you're playing the game. You're kind right. of, you know, you, you know that that's, that has to be part of the dance a little bit. The dance jan- dancer. Uh, Again, but Dan, yeah. but Dan, not dance. Dan, Dan. I would love to Same know word. what you would do with Anatomy of a Murder here. Well, in twenty twenty four. What would I do? And uh, you know, I was going to allude to this uh, and say that you know perhaps the jazzy score is not something that I would involve in a remake. But I I think a remake offers a lot of opportunities. Yeah. And I would I, I think a I think you could do this cuz also one of the cool things about courtroom dramas is that it, the aspects of like of a courtroom 
and the way that a trial is run is still pretty much the same. Yeah. So there's a lot of, a lot, like a lot of the aspects of it wouldn't have to change, but you could change, you could change things and you could still hold on to the themes of it and that kind of intentional vagueness Mm -hmm. around around certain events and you could i mean you could certainly bring different themes out you could find different themes i don't think like a word for word remake is necessary but i think a remake that adheres to kind of like this this setup and this uh you know, like these characters, I would definitely, right. I would want to keep, I would, I think I would definitely want to keep, you know, Beagler. I would want to keep these characters, not necessarily these people, but these characters, I, you know, want to see that, that, uh, Lieutenant Mannion who has committed a crime and does not regret it. And, just wants somebody to get him free so that yeah. he could probably go on and go somewhere else and do the same thing. Yeah. Well, I yeah, would want I, that. I would really st- still want that kind of that detachment. And that's why I, w- I was thinking about possible filmmakers and mm. in this, cause I feel like that's important. I feel like, like Preminger being like we were saying, not everybody, most directors wouldn't have been able to make the movie this way. Right. And I thought about Jane Campion oh, as okay. a direct, cause I'm thinking about somebody who can create, who can find the tension in stillness. And I thought totally. She, like, and she's done that. I wonder, like not just the power of the dog going back to, to the yeah. piano is the other film that, that stands out to me. And I I feel like she can find so much in subtlety, especially in actors and in their performances mm-hmm. that but I, I mean, she also it's I, I think that she could I would be I would love to see what she would do with a courtroom drama. Yeah, I yeah. I feel like I feel like that that would be I, I'd be interested in that Um, maybe. On the brain because of in the bedroom, but Todd Field is somebody else who I I think kind of has the right feel for for this because this is not something that I feel should be like, like sped up or, you know, I think it should still be as a movie, something that you go on and that you go on that ride in that one sitting and not right. Like stretch it out to be a series. But you could have Kate Blanchett as Paula Beagler as Paula. Well, it was actually, it's funny if you're thinking, well, yeah, I guess it well, was that the Todd field version. Cause I was thinking for the Jane Campion version of Benedict Cumberbatch. Oh <laughs> yeah. I don't, it, I just automatically, well, I was, I was thinking of different people and I was like, well, who kind of like, who's, played a lawyer before who's the right age and like there's a lot of a lot of actors and i thought about cumberbatch and i mean there there, there are a lot of other 
actors who would be great and probably actors who would be better. But I, I'm like, I could see him in this role. I could see him being that type of person who's so fixated on being a lawyer. And I could even see him doing the, the jazz thing. And it doesn't have to take place in 1959 or he could do some other form of, you know, musical performance or something like that lawyer who I could also out. see him as the dancer role. Oh, well, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I did not think that far in terms of casting. I was thinking I was like, I would love to see Michael Douglas as kind of like the old the old um, I forget the name of the the guy, but like the the old drunk who oh oh yeah parnell yeah parnell yeah i was like oh that would be again other actor there i'm sure there's lots of other actors who would be fun in in that role but I, I, oh, that could be a fun michael douglas role well so yeah that's i i think and that's my i was christopher mcquarrie was another name that came up because when he when he's not doing mission impossible movies like i yeah. still think as the screenwriter of the usual suspects uh, and, and a lot of other really, uh, really good movies that weren't mission impossible sequels, yeah. which he, he kind of mastered the art of that subgenre. But I was like, I would love to see a Christopher McQuarrie kind of return to this though. I think, I think his courtroom drama would be a little showier than what a, a Jane Campion would produce. But what say you, John? Well, I, I mean, I was definitely thinking remake, and it should be acknowledged there was a stage stage adaptation of Anatomy of a Murder. Um, I I would love to see a performance of of that at some point if uh, somebody's putting one on. <clears throat> um, but I think that for a remake, there is definitely a lot that can be done with this. Uh, I think that sticking pretty close to the original could totally work. Um, you know, the question is then, is it set present day? Because I feel like the conversation changes from 1959 to present day about, you know, the credibility of a woman uh, claiming sexual assault. And that all depends on what state she's in and kind of who's involved. But we you, you know, there's there's a lot more now to, you know, to back the thought of, like, you cannot victim shame and, you know, say that they are asking for it based on what they're wearing. And, uh, you know, that's certainly an area. And there also wouldn't be as much, um, I guess, shying away from, you know, women's underwear and things like that where you would not have to have the panty discussion and honestly you shouldn't whether you do it set it back in the 50s or 60s or whatever versus now because they they did that bit perfectly in the preminger version and it's like right. you can find plenty of other things to kind of have a moment of levity during such a serious trial uh, right. you could find plenty yeah. of other things to do there and so i I think that the the question does, you know, exist of like, well, when does this take place? And I don't think it should take place present day. Not necessarily that it should take place in 1959. Maybe it's in the 70s. Maybe it's in the 1930s. You know, there are definitely uh, 
a lot of opportunities to explore this type of complicated courtroom situation and uh, what anatomy of a murder does so well that we've talked about is having the uh, protagonist be such a you know you a likable person that you go into probably thinking that he's likable not because of what you're necessarily seeing on screen even though it's very charming what he's doing at all moments but also the fact that as an actor you've seen him so much before yeah. and you like him already going into it and i feel yeah. like that is something you know like you were saying before about kind of like having the audience being brought into it that's another way that the audience is brought into it because they are familiar with the lead actor and right. i think they that that him. exactly that goes a long way and uh, for a movie like this where that person is defending somebody who is without question a murderer where, you know, how do you uh, kind of bring people in and who do you have do that? You know, Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington are both aged out, I think, of this type of role. Um, well, also, they've they've done, especially Denzel Washington has yeah. done, I mean, famously with Tom Hanks in Philadelphia, but sure. also more recently, the Roman is- Israel movie he did. A Roman few J. Israel ago. Esquire. Yeah. 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 And so, I, but, you know. Not that it needs to be a one for one match for Jimmy Stewart, but, you know, somebody who's maybe in their mid 40s, maybe even 50, somebody, I don't know, John Hamm, like where you, you know, you're probably going into it being like, yeah, I can watch him. (laughs) He's fun to watch, you know, Uh, I don't know if he's, you know, immediately because he's played characters that are quite unlikable, but I you know, there are, I mean, maybe it's somebody like Donald Glover where it's like, you know, you, you know, and you trust him from some of the work that he's done. That's maybe more comedic and you're a fan of his music and things like that, that kind of bring you in and kind of set your mind in a, in a certain place before he even says a word on screen. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Odd, you know, if you're listening, ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. Who would be your, you know, new Jimmy Stewart? I feel like that's a kind of a conversation that comes comes up a lot for people is like, who is the new Tom Hanks? Who is the new Jimmy Stewart? Right. And yeah. no, it's not Colin Hanks. No. No. I, I mean, I yeah, I don't know. And like, yeah, who who kind of has that that right, that quality that uh, like, like another, another, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go in this direction because, again, I feel like been there, done that with him. But like Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, is another one who kind of fits that. But he's profile. complicated. He's, he's complicated. Compli- he's complicated. But I think at this point, though, he he's like he's kind of got the goodwill. He's got more of the goodwill back. So. Yeah, I well, mean, unless there's something I don't know. I haven't checked the internet in, in a couple of hours. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, people are still pretty divided on uh, his role in Tropic Thunder. I think that even all of the Iron Man of it all, uh, oh. I see a lot of discourse online about people, um, you know, questioning that decision from that movie. It's... Yeah, I, I, and yeah. and yeah, okay. I mean, 
I get I get that again. I that's I I don't know that that's necessarily something I'd hold against Robert Downey Jr. per se, but you know. But that's but that's what yeah. people are doing though. So yeah. here's what I've here's what I've noticed. Uh, as a a regular visitor to the Just app, or sorry, the Just Watch app, to see what is new on streaming services, I will notice that if a movie comes onto a streaming service that maybe hasn't been for a while, people watch it mm-hmm. and maybe are seeing it for the first time or are seeing it for the first time in a long time, and a new discourse comes up on social media about those movies and these roles and tropic oh, thunder is one of them where it wasn't streaming it. for a long time and then it recently became back on streaming services and now there is a new discourse because for a lot of people who are you know watching a lot of movies on streaming services you know it's not like everybody's looking at it from the context of when it came out they're looking at it as like because tropic thunder i mean it looks like it could have come out this year essentially it doesn't feel like an old movie by any sense but because right. robert downey jr has done so much since then but anyway i uh, what people see is robert downey jr not necessarily i uh, considering the point of what he's doing right and, and the message right. of what he's doing but the fact Context. that it just is in the first place and right. uh, and the context and doesn't it, matter as much, I think. Context doesn't matter to, as much. Plus, right. once it starts becoming part of the social media zeitgeist, it's not that people are watching watching the full movie; they're watching the clips that people are sharing and basing opi- and forming opinions based on the clips. Oh, so we're kind of just living in this whole different world of, you know, movie discourse. Uh, whether or not it should be, you know, taken seriously or with a grain of salt it's hard to say but it's out there and that's kind of how things are going (sighs) presently oh man yeah it's 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 tricky it yeah it's tricky i feel like because when you find yourself trying to explain it and say like well there's there's context it's like you kind of hear yourself and then you're like uh am i just apologizing for something because i found it funny at the time like Right. And, and Tropic and Thunder also, was not my favorite movie. It, like, I I felt Tropic Thunder, w- like, I enjoyed it, but felt it was a bit overrated. Like, yeah. Wouldn't it's, have nominated Robert Downey Jr. for the Academy Award. Right. And I think that's that. another reason why it creates such a, you know, big conversation around. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so anyway, oh, you know who everybody likes? Ryan Gosling. He would be, you know, I was, I was thinking about Gosling. Uh, Of course, of course, everyone likes Gosling. He's just kind of, everyone likes Gosling. Yeah. No. Yeah. But it was such a, such a great actor who does, who I think does absolutely. Oh, you know, what about Steve Carell? Steve Carell could be interesting. You know, the only thing that I've seen him in recently was The Morning Show, where he essentially plays Matt Lauer. Um, oh, okay. Post I see that. controversy. Uh, <laughs> so, but yeah, I think that given the love that everybody seems to have for The Office, uh, he does have a lot of cred there. Yeah, well, I, mean, I, maybe, I also... maybe even John Krasinski would be a Jimmy Stewart kind of person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, John, you know, I'd be, maybe John Krasinski, uh, you know, behind the camera. Could be. Who knows? Who he knows? seems to be going in that direction. 
there are a lot of there. I mean, there are a lot of options. There are a lot of directions that you could go. Again, you can email us at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Please do. Drop a message on an Instagram post or TikTok and yeah. let us know what you think. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll post a TikTok video. Who is the new Jimmy Stewart? Give us your two cents. Not even literally. Not even literally two cents. But if you want to give us two cents, go to our T Public store. Yeah. Maybe there's a sale I, going on where something. Or is put two that cents. towards your five dollar monthly payment uh, to subscribe to the to the waltz and get those there. You go extra uh, extra bonus content. I mean, speaking of Michael Douglas, he may make an appearance. In uh, one of the next few months, documentary picks. We'll see. Oh my God! All right, the suspense. Little is teaser. Me. God, <laughs> it's great. Well, Dan, for anybody, Douglas fan, but yeah, Dan, for anybody who is maybe in suspense, wondering what we're going to cover in our next episode, why don't you put them out of their misery? What are we going to be covering? Well, of course, we're going to Minnesota, and I'm Minnesota. sure we'll talk about the greatest ball of twine. But what we're going to be talking about the most, I'm ex- I'm so excited for this one, and this is such a, uh, um, a movie that that's kind of built had such a cult around it. It is 1999's Drop Dead Gorgeous, directed by Michael Michael Patrick Jan, starring Kirstie Alley, Ellen Barkin. Yeah, we got Ellen Barkin, Kirsten Dunst, Denise Richards. We got uh, Amy Adams, Allison Janney, uh, uh, Brittany Murphy. Pour one out. Uh, yeah, and, and yeah. So uh, I have not seen this. Have you seen this one before, John? It's been a long time, and also Michael Patrick Chan of the state. So mad respect. Ah, uh, yes, yes, and it, yeah. It's been a while for me too, and I can't wait. I'm excited to watch it and to talk about it. Yeah, well, I am. Uh, I'm really excited. Like I said before, go on Spotify, go on Apple Podcasts, rate and review. Uh, nothing less than five stars, please. Uh, follow us on Instagram, TikTok. Check out thewalt.substack.com. Our website is ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail. Or no, that our email address is ruinedchildhoodspot at gmail.com. Our website is ruinedchildhoodspot.com. And Jeez, where where do I go with this one? Dan, as you are being uh, uh, swayed to go down the stream by a, a fisherman's lure, I wish you a good journey. Good journey. Good journey.